Morning, everybody. How's it going today? This is the first time in my memory that I've walked up onto the platform with a background of heavy metal music. It's a little weird, but yeah, it's good. Hey, um, so we still have people come trying to sit down and stuff, so if there's any other room next to you, you can slide over, make some space or something like that. This is a great opportunity for me to say to you, try Saturday. No, no, we have these great worship gatherings on Saturday night, 5 o'clock and 6.30, and they're great. Same thing we do on Sunday morning, just with a little bit smaller crowd, a few extra chairs available and things, so that might be really helpful to you. When we started doing that several years ago, you know, I come to all of them anyway, but if I have a weekend off and I'm not required to be up front or something, I thought, well, I'm never going to Saturday night because that's no fun. And then I started coming on Saturday night when I have those opportunities, and I love it. So, try Saturday. That's all I have to say about that. All right. Oh, I do want to say try next Sunday night to that worship night we're having that Josh was talking about. Come next Sunday night. We're still going to have our worship gatherings on Sunday morning. We still got our 1045 thing going on. By the way, you do know this starts at 1045. <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm just asking because I, I can't tell. that. Okay, anyway. Come next Sunday at 1045 and come back and join us on Sunday night because it's going to be a fantastic time just to do some different kinds of things in our worship experience, just kind of break out of the normal stuff that we do in the morning, and it's really going to be great. I think it's going to move your journey with Christ forward, and we got these baptisms going on, so it's really going to be a great evening next Sunday, so come and join us for that as well, okay? All right, let's pray together, then we're going to jump into Scripture. Lord, thank you that you love us. Uh, we're so grateful for that. Lord, I don't know what everybody's going through today in their life. I know that there are people that are really struggling today, and they're sitting among us. And, and sometimes we wouldn't even know that the person right down the row or right next to us, if we haven't met them uh, before today, we wouldn't even know that it's a struggle. But you know exactly what they're going through. And I'm grateful to you for that, and I pray that you would uh, put your arm around them, maybe even put your arm around them through us, and embrace them and hold on to them, Lord, and may their path be straight. And Lord, for those who come in riding high and they're excited about life and about you and all that you've got going on with them, uh, we celebrate with them and we ask you to continue to walk with them in their journey as well. Lord, for all of us today, draw our attention to you, put the things that are distracting to us uh, back at home or things we're facing at work tomorrow or whatever those things are, help us to put those things aside to just think about you and what our relationship with you is like. Lord, lead us in the path you want us to be on, please. We seek you through Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're in a series these days talking about Scripture, and it's part of this whole thing we call the well-crafted life. And we believe there are five key things that God wants us to be focused on in our life that would help us move forward as passionate and productive followers of Jesus. And there's probably a lot more than five, but we've just kind of landed on these five and said these are really crucial to us as we understand the scriptures here at Lakeside. If you've been with us, you might be able to even tick off what those five things are, but they, I'll give them to you. They're scripture and prayer and generosity, connection and service, and we're spending about a month on each of those topics between Thanksgiving to Easter, and this month we're in the middle of them. We're in, well, we kind of moved, we shuffled them around from the order I just gave you, but this month we're talking about Scripture. And if you've been here very long, you go, you always talk about Scripture. That's what we do here at Lakeside, and I'm like, yes, we do. That's what it's about, but right now we're talking about the Scripture from the Scripture, and a lot, most of the time we take the Scriptures and say, well, what does that say about God? We're, right now we want to focus on what the Scripture is is and how do we how do we 
like have access to it? How do we understand it so, so that we find God through it? That's what we're working on. And last weekend, we decided that we would memorize Scripture together. Actually, I decided that, and you all were you know, stuck in your chair, and so you had to kind of go along for the ride. So we gave, out, we gave out little cards last week, right? We said, write this Scripture down. We put a Scripture up on the screen. We said, write it down, and we're going to take the next three weeks, and we're going to memorize these two verses, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you remember? One yes, one no, and a bunch of people like, <laughs> how many of you have your cards with you? Nice. No, okay, that's all right. If you don't have it with you, that's all right, because I told you, put it, you know, put it on your refrigerator or on your mirror or in your Bible, whichever one you see the most often. So we have six of you that, you s- <laughs> never, sorry, never mind. That was a bad joke. Poor taste. Anyway, if you got that with you, you can pull it out because we're going we're gonna to work on memorizing this again together. If you don't have it with you, we're going to put it up on the screen so you'll be able to see it. And we're going to learn 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 together as a church. The reason we're doing this is because I think when you get these two scriptures particularly into your mind and into your heart, they, sh- they will shape your view of this world. Everything out there wants to shape your world. Everything out there wants to shape your view of this world. These scriptures will help shape your view of the world from God's perspective. All right, so we put it up on the screen. I told you last week, we put them in phrases, the white, the gold, the white, the gold, because that helps me memorize. I can't do all like one, one whole long sentence at a time, but if I learn it in phrases, I can learn it. So we're going to say it together, and uh, I'll leave it up the first time. We'll see if we can say it together the first time, okay? And, and if you believe it, say it like you mean it. Okay, here we go. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Yay! Look, you did it! You did it! How many of you were looking? Oh, a lot. Okay, good. That's all right, because we didn't say you have to have it memorized by today. All right, but... Now you've done it once today, and so we're going to take it off the screen. And yeah, so we're going to try it again. And again, with, with feeling, let's go. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Yay! Good job, you guys. Look at that. You're getting it. How many of you, how many of you have it down cold now? No, more of you have it. You, just, you think if I, if I see your hand, I'm going to make you come up here. I'm not. It's not like that. How many of you have the first word down? First word is all. And then the next word is scripture. Like that's, you know, all scripture. Everything in the Bible that's inspired by God, God breathed, useful for all these different kinds of things so that we, the servants of God, will be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God brings across our path. Really, really helpful. I want you to know that because I want you to know Scripture. I believe God gave us Scripture because he wants us to know him. God gave us the Bible because he wants us to know him. And you only get to know someone who reveals himself to you. 
If someone keeps hidden, you can't find out about them. You, you only get to know someone by what they reveal to you. Now, they can reveal themselves by behaviors or they can reveal themselves by misbehaviors. Every time you misbehave, somebody makes a judgment about you because you revealed something about yourself, right? But when you speak is when you really reveal your heart. When you have a conversation with someone and you tell them, this is what I think and this is how I feel and this has been my background. When you tell people those kinds of things, then they get to know you. And in the scriptures, God has said to us, this is what I think. This is what I feel. This has been my background. And I want you to know that. So God gave us the scriptures because he wants us to know him. But in order to know God, you have to know those scriptures. And you have to know the stories that are in the scriptures. You have to know the characters that are in the scriptures. You have to know the content of what is in there in the scriptures. And Paul encourages us in this. The Apostle Paul is like, hey, I want you to move forward in this part of understanding the scriptures. So last weekend, we started this thing with 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that we just recited together. I want you to back up one chapter to 2 Timothy chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bible, this is time to pull it out. Some of you already had it out, so you could see 2 Timothy, you know, when I took it off the screen. I get that. That's fine. If you've got a smartphone, use that. If you've got your Bible with you, use that. If you don't have Bibles with you, we've got some on the, in the doorways on the way in. Uh, take one of those Bibles. If you don't have one, take it. Put your name in it. Take it home. Read it. And then bring it back next week. Bring your Bible to church. We haven't said that enough lately. Bring your Bible to church with you because it's how you get to know it. It's how you become friends with it. Bring it with you so you get familiar with it. All right? Uh, all right, so, and we've got the YouVersion Bible app. We've got some notes on there for you. If you want to look it up on your smartphone, you can do that as well. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Here's what Paul says. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. God gave us a scripture because he wants us to know him. And then Paul says, look, do your best with it. The word, do your best. It's some, sometimes it's translated in different translations of the scripture. It's translated study. Or one place it's translated be diligent. He goes, do your best with this book. How many of you have ever done your best in life? Yeah, about 60% slackers. No, okay, some of you, it's, it's hard to, like, oh, I did my best, I do my best all the time. Well, here's what God wants. He wants you to do your best with the scriptures. Like, do your best in your job, of course. Do your best when you're playing a game. You know, do your best, but, but when it comes to the scriptures, do your best. He says, I want you to do your best to present yourself to God as a worker. Now, one translation of that word is the word craftsman, which is so appropriate to what we're talking about in the well-crafted life. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as a craftsman with the scriptures. You could be a craftsman with the scriptures. That's what God wants for us. Do your best to present yourself to God as a craftsman with his scriptures who handle accurately the word of truth. And literally, to handle accurately means to lay it down straight. It's what, a, it's what a bricklayer would do. If they're building a foundation, they, they lay those bricks down straight because you've got to have a straight foundation for it to be stable. Lay it down straight. The word, is, the, the word uh, handles accurately literally is the Greek word ortho. Where do we, what do we get from that? Bones. An orthopedic surgeon works on bones, and what's he trying to do? Lay them down straight. Do your best 
to present yourself to God as a craftsman with the scriptures who lays it down straight. That's my job as a pastor. My calling is to lay it down straight for you. But your calling as a follower of Jesus is to study enough, to work enough, to be diligent enough with the scriptures so that you could lay it down straight for somebody else. That's our calling. He says, I want you to be diligent at that. In effect, what he's saying is, I want you to become friends with your Bible. I don't want you to be a stranger that sits on the shelf. I don't want to be a guest in your house that you never say hi to. He goes, I want you to be friends with your Bible. And I believe the best way to become friends with your Bible is to become familiar with its context. Now, to become familiar with its context, you got to read it. you got to think about it. you got to meditate on it, which we'll talk about next weekend. There's a lot of things that come into that. But to be a friend of the Bible, to be a friend of your Bible, you have to understand this thing called context. Every book you read has a context. Every magazine article, every blog you read, every website you go to has a context. And you usually understand what you're reading because you're familiar with the context that it's in. The Bible, though, is 2,000 years old at its newest point, And a lot of times the context is lost to us. Like, I don't really know what's going on. But if you want to become a friend of the Bible, you have to learn. You have to become a student of its context. I want to I want to help you today think through two areas of context with your copy of the scripture. I want you to think about the context of the text that's there, the context of the words that are there, because every word comes in a context. And I also want you to think about the context of the community that it came from and the community that it was sent to, because every letter has a community context. Every writing has a community context. And every person has a community context. So, for example, how many of you went down to the river last weekend? Right, you went down to Rainbow, you went down to Rainbow Bridge because the sun came out. It stopped raining for like 48 hours, and it was beautiful, and the river was going crazy. Did you go down and see that? When you were down there at Rainbow Bridge looking at the, at the river, what did you, who did you see? Who did you see? Uh-huh. Weren't you there? God. Oh, yeah, you saw God, right? He was, yeah, he was, he was involved. That's true. I, I think you saw like half the town of Folsom. Like, you had the, I went down there twice because I live close and it was so cool. I'm like, I got to see that again. So we went down there and there's people everywhere. But, and you know who those people were? Where, where do you think those people came from that were down at the bridge last weekend? Where did they come from? Folsom. How many of you do think got in their car from L.A. last Saturday morning, and they go, have you heard about the American River running through the city of Folsom? It's overflowing its banks. It's amazing. i got to go see it. Nobody did that. How many people just drove up from the Bay Area because they go, i got to see the American River at flood stage. This is amazing. How many people did that? Nobody. Why not? Because it's not part of their context. They have water to look at. It's called the ocean. They didn't need to see our water, but Folsom, like, we're going crazy. We used to walk on Folsom Pond, and we could see, you know, ruins down there and things, and now we've got this river running through our town. It's part of our context. Every community has a context, and so when you read the Scriptures, it's really helpful to ask the question, what's the community context behind this? So we know that Timothy was a pastor of a church, of the church in the city of Ephesus in, the nation, in what is now the nation of Turkey. 
It's on the coast of Turkey. And it's this beautiful, amazing city. You can go see it today. There's a lot of ruins of that city there today. It was an amazing city. And it had a context just like we have a context in Folsom. So, for example, we have public spaces in Folsom. You've probably seen some of these spaces, like, like Sutter Street. And you reckon, some of you have eaten at Chico's. Oh, no, it's probably not a restaurant. It's, I think, you think you buy things there. I don't, I don't think I've ever been in that one. But I've been in the Palladio. I know what that is. public spaces. In Ephesus, where Timothy was a pastor and where God said, do your best to be a craftsman with the Scripture, they had public spaces as well. So here's the market. Here's the upper market in the city of Ephesus. And to the left of those columns, there would have been shops where people were selling their things. And that's a public road going down the main That's the main drag of the city of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. They had public spaces. They had public markets. Just like we have public markets. We go visit those. They had public markets also. This is the lower market at 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 the lower end of that row we just saw. Here's where they would have like their farmer's market. And there'd be stalls out in front of each of those pillars. And and they could sell their tomatoes or their chili peppers or whatever they had to sell at the farmer's market. We have, we have um, public restrooms. I mean, sorry to bring up a, such a subject, but, I mean, but, but they had public restrooms also. Theirs were really public. <laughs> you could have a convention in theirs. Very interesting. We have public works projects that manor, manage our water. They had public works projects that managed their water, like this aqueduct that would bring water from the hills right down into the city. They were so advanced in their plumbing systems that they would put fittings for their underground pipes. They would make fittings of marble stone. In our context, we have houses. Most of us live in a house or an apartment or a condominium. They also had houses. These houses were more like condominiums because they shared a common wall together with one another, but they had houses. We have houses of government. We have a place where our government meets. We have a place where where our city council meets, and they have meetings together. You can actually go in the city council room and watch and listen to what they talk about. It's exciting. And they had houses of government. Look, they had houses of government too. This is called the Odeon. This is the city hall for the city of Ephesus. Look how many people they were expecting to come in in that theater. They loved government. Okay, never mind. We have houses of worship where we gather to worship. All around our town there are houses of worship. They had houses of worship also. They had a synagogue where the Apostle Paul, the very first time he went to the, to the city of Ephesus in the book of Acts, it records that the first thing he did was go into the synagogue. And he was the apostle sent out to the Gentiles. But God said to him, I want you always to go to the Jews first. And so he went into the synagogue. But when he started preaching about Jesus there, there was a big uproar because they had another house of worship in Ephesus. It was known as the Temple of Artemis. Temple of Artemis only has one pillar left in this whole temple. And this temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was 450 feet long, 250 feet wide, and 60 feet tall. 
People came from all over the region to go to this temple to worship Artemis. And there were craftsmen there who were responsible for, for making the idols, the images that looked like Artemis. And when Paul came in preaching about Jesus and saying, yes, he died on the cross and he rose again for us, they got all upset. These craftsmen got all upset because they realized that if everyone followed this Jesus, nobody would follow Artemis anymore. And the craftsmen would be out of business. So there's a riot. For two hours, there's a riot saying, Artemis is the best. Artemis is the best. Down with Paul. That happened in Ephesus. And you see it when you understand the context of what's going on. So we have libraries in our town. We're fortunate still to have a library in Folsom. They had libraries. In fact, the library of Ephesus was one of the top two libraries in the ancient world. The only library that surpassed this library in a number of volumes uh, was the library in Alexandria in Egypt. We have sports venues where we watch our children play ball. They had sports venues like this Hippodrome, which is a horse race track. Did you ever see Ben-Hur? New version, old version, doesn't doesn't matter. Remember the chariot race? Right there, Hippodrome, horse race track. We have theaters in our context. They had theaters in their context. In fact, this theater... This theater is where they dragged Paul when they had the riot and they're chanting, Great is Artemis, great is Artemis, great is... They dragged him into this theater which seats more people than the Golden One Center in Sacramento. This theater seats 25,000 people. Imagine 25,000 people chanting at one time, Great is our goddess Artemis, down with Paul. While Paul stands on the little stage down front. They had in their context another goddess named Nike, the goddess of victory. Nike, we have Nike. (laughs) It's context, it's all context. So, So when you're reading through the scriptures and you're trying to become a friend of the Bible, a friend of your copy of the scriptures, don't just read it. Read it. I didn't say don't read it. Don't just read it. Don't just read and go, oh, 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 that's what, no, you can actually do some work. You can be diligent. You can do your best to become a craftsman with the scripture. And part of that means engaging with the context of the community that it was sent to. You go, oh, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, last week, Pastor Sean talked about some tools to use to study the Bible, like BibleHub.com or using a study Bible. Or you can just go online and just Google pictures of Ephesus. You will find better pictures of Ephesus than the ones I showed you because I took those and real photographers took the other ones. And they're right there. Google it. It's right there at your fingertips. Become a student of the context of the community of the scriptures. And you can do it with any book in the Bible. That's one part of context, becoming a friend of your, of your Bible. The other part of context that I want you to understand is the context of words. So we're learning these verses together in 2 Timothy 3.16 that say all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful. We're learning those words, but do you know why those words are there? Do you know why Paul gave those words to his friend Timothy? See, the only, reason you, the only way you'll learn why those words are actually there is if you look at the context that it comes from. You can't just read those verses and go, oh, I got it. You don't have most of it. You just have some words. But if you were to back up a little bit and look not just at those verses, but you look at the whole letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 
you'd learn more. If you backed up a little farther and you said, I'm not going to just learn 2 Timothy, I'm going to learn 1 Timothy, you'd learn more. If you backed up farther and you said, I, I want to learn about the letter, all the letters that Paul wrote, and I want to compare this letter to all the other letters that he wrote in the New Testament, you'd learn more. If you backed up further, you would find that there's a whole context of the whole New Testament and all the words and stories that are there. And if you backed up one more step, you'd be to the whole Old Testament and all the scriptures, and you could say, look, I can compare what I learned about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 to all of the scriptures. Now, it'll take you a while to get that done. And from my perspective, you'll never finish. I learn things from the scriptures all the time. And I've been studying them diligently, doing my best with them for 40 years. You won't finish but every day that you walk down that road, every day you take that journey, you will get closer and closer to the heart of God. When you find out what's the context of the community and when you find out what's the context of the words. So let me just back up one, one step of context from that verse out to the letter of 2 Timothy. And let's just look at some of the things that Paul says so we can find out why he wrote this stuff about Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul begins his letter by saying this. To Timothy, my dear son. Oh, that's interesting. Is Timothy Paul's son? Is he his biological son? Does anybody know? No, he's not his biological son. He's his spiritual son. And if you were to read more in 1 Timothy, you'd find some more things about how the fact that Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. But he goes, Timothy, my dear son. So here's an intimate letter that he's going to write to his son, the one he calls his son. Verse 4, he says, Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm like, oh, when Paul left Ephesus and told the elders of the church in Ephesus, I'm never going to be able to come back here, and he left his friend Timothy there to be the pastor of that church, Timothy wept over the loss of his friend, the Apostle Paul. And he feared he might never see him again, and he wept. And Paul now writes to him, and he goes, I remember your tears, and I long to see you again. There's this intimate relationship between these two men. And sometimes when you read through the scriptures, you go, oh, it's just sort of dry. It's just sort of on the page and doesn't really move me. Here's two men who passionately love one another. And they've been separated by time and distance. And Paul goes, I can't wait to see you again. It's a personal letter. Then in verse 5, he says, oh, I, I, and I'm reminded about your faith, which first lived in your grandmother and then in your mother and now lives in you as well. It's like Paul knows the whole family. It's a family letter. It's a personal letter. There's a personal relationship. But it's written against a backdrop of pain. You don't always realize this if you don't stop and look at the context of the text that you read. You don't realize that there's a context of pain behind it. So, for example, in verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. All of his colleagues, all of his comrades, all of his partners in the ministry, they've all deserted me, he says. There's a, there's a context of pain behind this. Chapter 4, verse 10, he says, And my friend Demas, my associate Demas, because he loved this world, has left me and gone to Thessalonica instead. There's a backdrop of desertion against which Paul writes this letter to his friend Timothy. He goes, Timothy, I long to see you, my young friend, my son. 
I long to see you. And everybody else has abandoned me. And so he writes this letter to Timothy because he's trying to encourage him. He's like, Timothy, press on. Lean in. Don't stop. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago, don't fall off the bike. Keep going. And so he writes some words to Timothy to encourage him to keep going. In chapter 1, verse 7, he says, for the, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. In chapter 2, verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Don't forget the gospel. As hard as it might get, as lonely as you might be, don't forget the gospel. Hang in there with it. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Encourage and correct and exhort. And then there's that verse in chapter 2, verse 15 that we already read. And do your best to present yourself to God as a craftsman who does not need to be ashamed, but who takes the word of God and lays it down straight. See, Paul is afraid that Timothy is going to become so distraught over Paul's situation or so uh, inhibited because of his own situation that he's going to Stop following the gospel. Stop leading for the gospel's sake. Stop stop serving Christ. And so he says, Timothy, you have a tool in your hand that will help you to stay steadfast and immovable against the pain. And it's the scriptures. And all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Don't give up, Timothy. Don't give up, friends. It looks dark sometimes. It looks lonely sometimes. Scripture is given for your benefit that you would be able to move forward as you follow Christ. Paul said to Timothy, you, your friends need what you have. You have scripture. Your friends need that. And I would say to you, your friends need what you have. Stay with it. Do your best. Present yourself to God as a craftsman who lays it down straight. Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that you lay it down straight for us. We need it like that. Lord, I pray for all of us. We are in different places in our journey with you, and some of, you, some of us have been uh, studying you and your book for years, decades, some of us. And Lord, I pray for those of us like that, that you would continue to refresh us in its truth, in its beauty, in its wonder. Make us strong in your book. Lord, there are some of us who have been studying for a while, but we, we need to take some more steps forward. And so I pray for them that you'll lead them forward in the path of grasping the context that comes with Scripture, or that Scripture comes with. And Lord, some probably are still just investigating, not really sure if they believe Jesus or not. I pray for them that they would have the courage to open the Scriptures and to begin to read it, not even knowing if they believe it yet, but just to read it and to let it get into their lives. Because your scripture is useful and powerful and inspired by you for that purpose.
So Lord, lead us in the path you want us to be on with you, with your word. We ask through Jesus. Amen.